You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. All right, we're going to jump in and continue in our summer series. Now, if you're here for the first time, welcome. My name is Richard, and the pastors here, and Bert and Sheila, our lead pastors, they're in Calgary this morning. They'll be speaking at our um, East Calgary Church. And so we're in a summer series called Restore My Soul, and we're going to be working through um, one psalm, just one psalm. This is the amazing thing about Scripture. Uh, we've just finished a series where we've looked at several chapters of the book of Acts. And so you can get lost in several chapters and you can get lost in just six verses. And so we're going to marinate the next six weeks in the six verses that are Psalm 23. But to set this up today, I want to share quite a funny little story that um, that happened some years ago, I think in 2012, true story, uh, but kind of resurfaced uh, recently. And I want to read it here. It says, a group of tourists spend hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Eldga Canyon, only to find her among the search party. The group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman who had changed clothes didn't recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. But the search was called off at about 3 a.m. when it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. And so quite a funny little story. I'm glad it turned out okay in that situation. But in many ways, it feels like a picture of life sometimes is we're searching. Uh, And it's hard to find something when you're not quite sure what it is you're looking for. And so we join in the party. Everyone seems to be searching, pursuing something, but we're not quite sure exactly what it is. And part of this series is searching for what it means to restore my soul. It's one of the lines, the phrases that you'll see in Psalm 23 if you're unfamiliar. And so so many times collectively as a human race or individually, we can chase after things that are, feel like it's going to bring the completion of my soul, the contentment that my soul longs for. You know, we've looked at different philosophies and ideologies, Marxism, communism, this is it. And then it turns out to not deliver its promises. And then towards the middle to the end of the 20th century, the, the next thing that was going to be the game changer was this thing called technology and the progress of human development. And that hasn't fully materialized in the ways that we thought it was. Maybe individually, it was the career that you're embarked on. It's the, it's the thing that you thought was going to bring you the contentment, and maybe it's leaving you less than contented. Or that relationship, or this thing, or that thing. It can be any number of things. And just like this lady, sometimes we can join in the pursuit of something we're not really quite sure what we're looking for. And so... Join me, if you will, in reading Psalm 23. It'll be up on the screen, and hopefully by the time we're done with the series, we can just recite it because we'll know it so well. But Psalm 23, a classic, well-known psalm, uh, even today, here it is. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's, let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to come before you today. You are a good God as we've sung. And so now we ask the Spirit of God to come and be the great teacher among us. Um, Lord, you know what we need in our life right now. You know what every single heart is yearning for in this auditorium right now. And I pray by the time that we leave today, we would have encountered the true, the living God. And so, Spirit of God, do what only you can do. Change, transform, touch our hearts, our minds, for your glory, our joy. Amen. So last week we kicked off by looking at verse 1. and we, we, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the theme of that message was all about contentment. I shall not want. And wow, what a bold statement to make. What a bold declaration and decision to make about your life. I shall not want. And contentment, we found, comes from the confidence that's the first part of the verse. Why can I be content? I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd. And so today I want to take that a little bit further and talk some more about this contentment uh, and look at verse 2 and a little bit of verse 3 and the provision God gives us for the contentment our soul longs for. And so we're going to look at, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me, he leads me, he restores me. What a beautifully serene picture of life. And I guarantee your life is not like that, is it? Life is a lot messier than that. And the psalmist knows that. You know, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to talk about the shadow of death and the valley that we often walk through, and even the presence of enemies in our lives. But that's a beautiful picture of the kind of contentment that God longs to give our souls in the midst of an incredibly challenging life. And so it may be a beautifully serene picture, but in real life, it's far from that. And so part of preparing for this message, um, part of preparing for the series, rather, is um, I got put onto a book written by an actual shepherd, um, and it's a shepherd's commentary on Psalm 23. It's a person, a shepherd, he grew up in East Africa and raised sheep, and he provides some really great insights because, you know, when we're reading this, we're not really in an agricultural setting. I mean, not many shepherds among us, right? I don't know if there's a career choice for anyone right here. I know Aaron was talking about students later. I don't doubt they're going to UFT or Ryerson or where it is to become a shepherd, although it definitely would be a worthwhile career to pursue, but in our day and age, we're far less, um, far more re- removed from these kind of analogies. And so the depthness, the richness of the psalm could get lost in us simply because we're not a shepherd like David who's writing this. So I'm going to help us understand a little bit more. And so when I was reading this particular verse, this particular person, this particular shepherd commentary, he says there's actually four things that sheep need Oh, four things that will not make sheep lie down. And so very quickly, they are number one, fear. Now, sheep are very timid creatures. They're easily scared. And so if there's any sense of danger, if there's any wild animals or even dogs around, it can make them very fearful. They won't lie down. The second thing that won't make sheep lie down is flies, the torment 
of insects or parasites that just torment them, right? You know this. If you've been out in beautiful summertime, it gets humid and the bugs come out. You know, mosquitoes. I don't know about you, but they seem to love me. Uh, someone was telling me, it's like, oh, you should check your blood type because there's a certain blood type that they go towards. I'm like, I don't know about that, but it's just they seem to love me. And so you know what it's like, right? It's, it's hard to be comfortable when you're swatting flies or mosquitoes away. Same with sheep. If there's flies, if there's insects, if there's parasites that are eating at them and, and just tormenting them, they won't lie down. Number three, by friction. And so in a flock, there can be sometimes friction between sheep. There's sometimes tension or rivalry or competition. Uh, have you heard of the pecking order? Like we would know that in a chicken coop, there's a pecking order. Well, in the flock of sheep, there's something called a butting order. Right? That's budding order. That's great. I want to try to bring that up in sentences this week. That's a great little conversation starter. That there's a jostling for position, a jostling amongst sheep. And so if there's any friction going on in the flock, they will not lie down. And then fourthly, famine. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They won't lie down. Now, I put those into four Fs. The author didn't quite say it like that, but I thought, well, you know, it's kind of my thing. So there you go. Um, but a flock that is restless or discontented or agitated will never thrive. Now, we look at sheep, and there's a reason why a lot of the times in Scripture, one of the dominant metaphors of God's relationship with his people is that of a shepherd to a sheep. Not just in the psalm, you see it throughout Scripture. It's a real dominant metaphor. Because we're quite similar to sheep, at least in this regard, Right? For instance, when you need a sense of contentment, if there's any fear in your life, if there's any uncertainty, any anxiety, any fear of the future, of failure, of rejection that cripples us as humans, you won't be able to enjoy contentment, at least the deep contentment that the Lord offers. What about flies? Isn't life, your day-to-day life, full of small aggravating annoyances and frustrations? Isn't your life full of some of those just seemingly small things that become big things? And so I remember there's an old African saying, a proverb of like, you know, I paraphrase it, but, you know, don't ever dismiss small things doing, creating big change. Like if you've ever spent the night with a mosquito in your room, you'll realize how small things can make big change, make big annoyances. And so life is full of that. Day-to-day life is just full of these small little annoyances. The flies of life can rob us of the deep contentment the Lord has for us. What about friction? Today, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a constant barrage of media messages telling us that if we want to have the life that everyone else is having, we need to buy this, wear this, smell like that, drive in our car, have this sense type of vacation. You know, social media has produced a FOMO that's off the charts. Looks like everyone's living their best life except you. And so there can be friction in your life when you think that you're not getting ahead. You're not advancing like other people perhaps are advancing or everyone seems to be enjoying the life that you're not enjoying. Or what about just friction that comes from tension in relationships, right? We're people, we're complicated, right? We butt heads just like sheep. We butt with one another. And so if there's friction in our lives, it's going to rob us of the deep contentment. The Lord has for us. And then lastly, famine. Now, in the West, in our day of an abundance, um, in our day of 
of a lot of things that have been given to us, the relative comfort that we enjoy, particularly here in Canada. We're not talking about physical famine. We're talking about a spiritual famine. We're talking about a famine that drives us, an insatiable appetite that drives us. Um, we may not describe it as an appetite for God, but the reality is when we're looking for love, when we're looking for beauty, when we're looking for an experience, when we're looking for justice, when we're looking for a truth, the reality is that's really a search for God himself. And so we see people pursuing and giving their lives to these things. And not, those are good things. But if that's all that we're looking for, that can be like that search party that we can find, find those things and realize they're not fully what we are searching for. And so our insatiable appetite continues to grow and to grow. And the reason why is, at least from scripture, is that we're hardwired for God. We are made in the image of God. As Blaise Pascal famously said, there's a God-shaped hole in your soul that nothing and no one will quite fit. Oh, but we try, right? We try. We try to fill that thing with so much. And the reason we seek for God in all the wrong places is because wind was never meant to fill our stomachs. Hear me out. Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan preacher of the 17th century, puts it beautifully, forgive the gender-biased language, but it is the 17th century. My brethren, the reason why you have not got contentment in the things of the world is not because you have not got enough of them. This is not the reason. But the reason is because they are not things proportionable to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. Many men think that when they are troubled and have not got contentment, it is because they have but a little in the world. And if they had more, then they would be content. This, sorry, that is just as if a man were hungry, and to satisfy his craving stomach, he should gape and hold open his mouth to take in the wind, and then should think that the reason why he is not satisfied is because he has not got enough of the wind. No, the reason is because the thing is not suitable to a craving stomach. What a beautiful way to put it. There's a God-shaped vacuum hole in your life and my life. And getting more wind is not going to fill that because wind was never designed to fill that gaping hole. Now, you can substitute wind for any number of things. Relationships, romance, sex, pleasure, comfort, career, morality even. Good things. It's not quite going to do the job because we are capable of God himself. And so instead of green pastures and quiet waters, we turn to any number of unsuitable sources to satisfy our cravings. Now another Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, recorded the words of the Lord in a different way, but similarly echoing of what we've just read. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so we have quiet waters, green pastures offered to us but we reject it in pursuit of other things. And then we wonder why we're people rushing around searching. Everyone seems to be searching, but never quite finding what it is that's going to bring contentment to us. So coming back to being sheep, we get back into identifying as sheep for a bit. 
There must be a definite sense of freedom for those things, freedom from fear, from flies, from friction, and from famine in order to experience real contentment and lying down. And for that, sheep are entirely dependent on the shepherd, the shepherd's character, competence, and care for the sheep. Not all shepherds are equal. You can be a good shepherd. You could be a bad shepherd. You could lead your sheep into dry places, dried up streams, and they're not going to flourish. And so everything for the sheep depends entirely upon the shepherd. And so in some ways, we're also helpless in a sense to fulfill that void in us. But for us, God is gracious and good and longs to be the one that fulfills that God-shaped whole for us if we will invite him and let him in and trust him. So in the context of Psalm 23, let me offer you a definition. We kind of looked a lot at what contentment wasn't last week, but I don't know if I ever put down what contentment is, but in this Psalm 23, here we go. Contentment is the confidence in the shepherd's presence and provision for whatever I am facing. Whatever I am facing, circumstances may be really good for you right now. Praise God, we rejoice with those who rejoice. Circumstances may be really hard and tough and dire for you right now, and we lament with those who are in those situations. But if our contentment is tied to our circumstances, your contentment is going to be as volatile as your circumstances are volatile. Because the reality is, as much as we want to be in control of all our circumstances, there is so much in this world that is out of our control. So much of the fear that drives us is the uncertainty that lies around us and the inability for us to be able to control any of that. And if two and a half years of a pandemic taught us anything, it was that very thing, how very little in control of life we really are. And so we need a contentment that's beyond our circumstances. It's not to say that circumstances can't help us, right? It's, 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 it's nicer when life is going well, amen? Yeah, we can acknowledge that, absolutely. It's nice when we've got a little bit more money in the bank than we need, right? It's nice when we're thriving in a career and a job and an environment that's drawing on all the strengths and the gifts that God's placed in us, right? Absolutely, we pray for that. But life is not fully always like that, and that's okay. And that's, that's just life. It's reality. Scripture doesn't promise us to have an easy life here. But our contentment can come beyond our circumstances, be independent of our circumstances, that even though you might be in a valley of the shadow of death as the psalmist, you can still know the presence of the shepherd with you and have his care and concern for you, providing contentment for you. So contentment is the confidence in the shepherd's presence and provision for whatever I am facing. So then the question is, who is the shepherd of Psalm 23? Now fast forward a few hundred years from when Psalm 23 was penned, and we have Jesus Christ of Nazareth standing, talking to religious leaders of his day, religious leaders who would be very well versed in the Old Testament scriptures, who would know exactly what he was talking about when he begins to Draw analogies to him being a shepherd. Join me in John chapter 10 as we read some of the words of Jesus to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We can't be more emphatic and clear than that. To his audience then and to us now, that he is identifying as the shepherd, the good shepherd, not just of Psalm 23, but all of scripture, of the care and the concern and the character and the competency of a good shepherd to lead, guide, provide, protect for us. This is what Jesus is saying. And in these little few verses of a much bigger discourse that he's having with his religious leaders, he draws a picture between bad shepherds and the good shepherd. And the bad shepherds are any number of religious leaders who didn't look after the people as they were supposed to. It's any number of people that want to lead us astray versus him. You know, a lot of the times we hear that verse, um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we attribute that to the devil. And in some ways, the devil does come to steal, kill, and destroy. But in that, he's not referring to the devil. He's referring to actual people, actual leaders, actual leaders of nation of, of, of Israel's history that should have been good shepherds but weren't, led the people astray led them into idolatry. He says, but fear not, I'm here. The good shepherd is here. And you know why I'm the good shepherd? He's going to tell us how he's going to do it in just a little minute. But look at the bad shepherds, the thieves and robbers. They come to steal, to kill, destroy. Those things that we set up in our lives, even good things that make them ultimate things, become like thieves and robbers to steal, kill, and destroy our contentment and so much else. That's the nature of idolatry. It supplants God in our life and just takes takes, takes, takes. What are bad shepherds today? I mean, it could be physical people. It could be bad leaders. But I think idols and idolatry a lot more sophisticated these days. Maybe you followed the performance shepherd. Performance is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I perform, if I do well in life, if I please my parents, whatever it is, I'm going to be content. What about the money shepherd? It seems to be a big one popular in our day and age, especially in the economic climate that we're in, right? Everyone's fearful about where the economy is going. Money is my shepherd. I shall not want. If I just had more of it, I'd be okay. And listen, come on, can we not all acknowledge that? A little bit more money wouldn't be a bad thing, right? Can we just say that? Can we just be human? Yeah. Okay. You're human. You're good. You're good. Money is an important part of your life. Right? You can't go a day or a week without having some transaction with money. And so these are not bad things per se, but they be, we make even good gifts that God gives us like money and make them ultimate things, and then they take, steal, kill, destroy, rob us. What about the appearance, shepherd? Appearance is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I just looked a certain way, if I was attractive in a certain way, if I found the person of my dreams, I shall not want, all will be well with my soul. I mean, it's crazy some of these reality shows, Love Island, I, I mean, I don't watch them a lot, so I get whatever. <laughs> but I hear, like, I see, um, this, I mean, how Canadian can it get uh, something called Farmers Find Love? Is anyone, is anyone watching that? Are you watching that, Blue? Okay, you're shaking his head, but I don't know, there might be something going on there. There's all these reality shows about finding love, right? What does that tell you about us as humans? We're searching, we're still searching. Love is a great thing. It's a good gift from a loving God. But when we make love the ultimate thing, it will let you down. You will pursue that thing 
until you are fully discontent. What about the pleasure and the comfort, shepherd? Pleasure, comfort is my shepherd, I shall not want. What about the morality, shepherd? If I do obey scripture, if I do all the right things, if I am faithful, then I shall not want. And so even good things like that, living a life that's right before the Lord, we can make it the ultimate thing and begin to trust our performance before the Lord as a transactional relationship. Lord, I've done my part, you owe me. And that's not really the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is grace. You don't deserve anything. Actually, what you do deserve is a lot less than you, a lot worse than you think it is. And so it's not saying that morality is not important, not at all. It's the motive of our heart, what drives us. What about, what about the approval shepherd? Approval is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is a big one for me. I like to be liked. And so we can, we can sacrifice a lot in the pursuit of these bad shepherds. And they can lead us, we think, to green pastures and still quiet waters, but in actual fact, they're dry pastures, dried up streams of water that don't provide the restoration for our soul and our contentment. And whatever we love, whatever we trust, whatever we obey, whatever we put our hope ultimately in is essentially that shepherd or that God or, as we would say, that idol. Uh, Tim Keller, we quote him a lot. He speaks a lot on this. He says there's no person. Not even the best one can give your soul all it needs. This cosmic disappointment and disillusionment is there in all of life, but we especially feel it in the things in which we set our hopes. When you finally realize this, there are four things you can do. Number one, you can blame the things that are disappointing you and try to move on to better ones. That's the way of continued idolatry and spiritual addiction. Number two, you can blame yourself and beat yourself. That's the way of self-loathing and shame. Number three, you can blame the world. That's how you get hard, cynical, and empty. Or number four, you can reorient the entire focus of your life on God. And so that's what we're being invited to in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the Lord is Jesus, the good shepherd. And Jesus said, if we trust him, if we follow him as the good shepherd, we will find pasture, we will find life, and we will find it in abundance. That's a good shepherd. Our discontent, our restlessness, our dissatisfaction are really symptoms of a much deeper problem and underlying condition, and that is our alienation and disconnection from the relationship with God himself. That God-shaped whole is in us because of that alienation, that disconnection through sin and through the fall. And so how does the good shepherd resolve that? Well, he tells us the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The good shepherd pays the ultimate sacrifice for the well-being, the flourishing, and the vitality of the sheep in his care. The good shepherd makes me. He leads me. He restores me. God's taken the initiative. We just respond to that. We can accept that or we can reject that. He restores my soul. It's the title of the series. It's also in the verse that we read earlier. He restores my soul. Now, get a little Bible nerd on you because I think it's always good to get a little Bible nerdy. But that word restore in the Hebrew, it means a turning back. In some other parts of the Hebrew scriptures, it's, it's translated as a turning back or a returning. Um, 
And uh, in the New Testament, there's another word that we use for that. It's called repent. And so if we want to experience the life and the restoration that God has for us, it's not just about things. It's about a posture of our hearts turning back to the God that your heart really longs for. And maybe you wouldn't phrase it like that, but this is what Scripture is saying. And I think for many of us, we can testify to that, that we're no longer in those search parties because we found what we're looking for. Now, we can still be tempted to go on after those things, but ultimately our heart is satisfied with God himself. He's fulfilling that part in us. He restores my soul. In other words, we're making God and we're trying to make God ultimate in our lives and putting him first and finding contentment in that. Uh, G.K. Beale, a, a theologian, puts it like this. He says, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. You know it. You maybe have seen this in people, people who have made career their shepherd. That becomes their goal, their thing in life. Money, comfort, financial, whatever it may be, begins to cloud how they see everything in life. Everything becomes, uh, the, the, everything that is looked at life through that lens of whatever it is that be. And it ruins them or it can restore them if we're looking and revering the good shepherd himself. So as we wrap up here today, from the verses that we've just read today, from this psalm that we read, there's two decisions before each and every one of us. Number one, who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? Because you can try, but you can't chase after two shepherds. It has to be one or the other. Uh, French, the 20th century French philosopher and Christian mystic, uh, mystic um, Simone Well says it like this. One has only the choice between God and idolatry. There is no other possibility. The faculty of worship is in us. It is either directed somewhere into this world or into another. And so the opposite of believing and worshiping God is an atheism. The opposite of theism is an atheism. The opposite of theism is idolatry. We just substitute that with something else. If it's not God, it's going to be something or someone else. There's no, there's no person that can remain neutral. Because your, your scripture tells we're hardwired for a relationship with God. We're hardwired to worship God. We're, the faculty of worship is in us. But there's a choice we need to make where we're going to direct that. And if we genuinely want contentment and restoration of our souls, it needs to be directed ultimately to God. And here's the great thing. When you do that, some of those gifts like money, career, uh, marriage, whatever it is, they can be enjoyed in the correct order. It's not to say that we have to now forego all of those things that are other parts of our desires of our hearts, but it's just they're not going to be ultimate. So number one, who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? And number two, and don't just, you know, for a lot of us here, you say, oh, you know, you're, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. So the right answer is Jesus, right? Yeah, we know it's the right answer, but is it actually practically lived out in your life? Are you, is it actually demonstrable in your life and my life that he is? the shepherd that's leading me. And number two, the other decision we need to make, will you accept the shepherd's provision for you? His provision for you. Uh, later, uh, uh, sorry, elsewhere in, in John's gospel, Jesus says some other things that help us to see how he provides for us. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in chapter seven, he goes on, continues to say, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And not just quiet streams, out of your own heart, the Spirit of God can produce streams of living water. That you might be in the desert, you might be in a green pasture, you might be in the valley, you might be in the mountaintop, it doesn't matter. Because the bread of life, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is with you, his presence and his provision are never lacking in our lives when we follow him, trust him, love him, obey him, set our hope in him. And so I want to invite you today, as we go back into a song of worship, I want to invite you today to think about those two decisions. And I want to invite you to make a decision uh, in regard to those two questions. Who is your shepherd? And two, will you accept the way that the shepherd has provided for you? His word, his spirit, and his people ultimately is where we find his care and his provision, his contentment for our souls. Uh, Let's pray together. Jesus, you are the good shepherd, and you acknowledge that there are bad shepherds that we can follow after. Um, And so today, Lord Jesus, I pray for those amongst us that are following bad shepherds and are feeling the fruit of that in their lives. But I pray that they come to a place of clarity be able to see Jesus as the good shepherd and follow you, to love you, to trust you, and to be able to confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd. And Lord, for many of us who have made that decision at one time or another, but that we're not off the hook, that are we living today like you are the good shepherd? That are we trusting you even amidst challenging times to provide for us, to Be the source of contentment our soul longs for, quenches for, thirsts for, hungers for. God, we're so prone to look to other things to fill that. But Lord, it never quite satisfies like the bread of life, like the streams of living water you promise and offer us. And so I today pray, God, that we would come to say, God, restore my soul. And we do that as we return, as we repent as we come back into right relationship with you. And so help us today, God. Help us today to not leave this place without experience that deep contentment that only you truly can provide for your glory, for our joy and contentment. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org. 